This is the Education Gadfly Show. We're playing the best team in the world. You end up looking bad when you're up against Messi. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the LeBron James of Education Reform. Alyssa Schwank. Thank you, Mike. That's quite an honor this week. That's pretty good, right? But uh, hey, uh, you, you were a basketball star once upon a time, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, in my like six-year-old youth league, and that was only because I was taller than all of the boys in yeah. my first grade class. Is that right? You never, yeah. you didn't go on to to, to have great basketball. Uh... So this will surprise absolutely zero people at, who work at Fordham yeah. who have ever met me. But I'm not the most coordinated person, mm-hmm. and I'm a little stubborn. So when people go, "You're really tall. You should play basketball." Yeah, you weren't kind of into that yeah. reverse psychology almost. I'm sure there were lots of coaches though that that were trying to recruit you. <laughs> Maybe once upon a time, certainly not anymore. All right, it is officially officially summer. This is exciting. Uh, it feels like summer here in DC, but Oof. education reform marches on people even if the kiddos are out of school. So let's play Pardon the Gadfly, Clara. Let's get started. Mike, this week we hosted a discussion about education reform's common ground. Is there anything that reformers on the left and right still agree on? <laughs> Sometimes it's uh, it's hard to see what we do still agree on. No, but we look, did first, find common ground. We did. No, look, we had a great event. I thought, uh, you know, I was biased. I was a moderator, but mm-hmm. I thought it went very well. Everybody mm-hmm. was certainly super friendly to each other. And at the same time, I don't think that we avoided some tough issues. No, I mean, we dove right in. Hey, we dove right into some really tough, tough stuff. And I think we already knew going in that there were big differences in our worldview. That's the whole point is that this is an ideological diverse movement. And that means that uh, on non-ed reform issues, there is mm-hmm. sharp disagreement, mm-hmm. right? But the question was on ed reform itself, do we still have common ground? I will say that, Alyssa, I was a little disappointed. I, I thought I was going to start with an easy one. I started, mm-hmm. I, I went down a roster of ed reform mm-hmm. issues asking if there's agreement. I started with high quality charter schools. I thought that was going to be an easy yes for everybody, but there was a caveat voiced. Yeah, and I think the caveat was, and Valentina and Lindsay of the Rakes Foundation did a really great um, way of expressing it, is making sure that the high quality charter schools, like quality, yes, they should be high quality, but there's the question of who's defining quality and if that like the high quality model, like a uh, success Academy, mm-hmm. if parents are choosing that because that's what they want or because that's the only option they have for high quality schools. So there's some nuance, but I think, I, I, but that kind of blew me away, Alyssa. Mm-hmm. I mean, because again, these are schools of choice. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that I totally get it. If we were forcing everybody in New York city to go to a school that looked like success Academy mm-hmm. and had its approach, including its approach to discipline that, uh, that people would feel like that was unfair, mm-hmm. but these are schools parents have freely chosen. They've mm-hmm. got huge waiting lists and you're in a place like in New York City. Certainly, uh, you know, they started these schools in Harlem where there's a mm-hmm. ton of other charter schools mm-hmm. of other stripes. So, you know, I don't know. Lindsay was making the case that we don't want to do this to the communities. I get that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's totally legitimate that we need to be sensitive to how uh, communities see reform. At the same time, many of us have always argued that the best form of local control is parental control. Mm-hmm. And if those Success Academy parents are happy and the school's getting great results, mm-hmm. I just think, look, you, we should all be in 110%. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think, you know, I would agree. I think a lot of people, like success is clearly a lightning rod for a lot of people, but there are still these huge waiting lists. Like a lot, it is the school of choice for many parents. I think the most important thing to take away from this discussion is the idea of continuing the conversation, continuing to talk to people who have these different opinions and these different gradations of what quality is so we can kind of better understand each other and better move toward this common ground where we can all work together. We will continue to do that. Okay, Mm -hmm. good. All right, Claire, topic number two. Selective public high schools around the country are struggling to diversify their ranks. How can these schools attract and retain more black and Latino students? Yeah, so Alyssa, you know, this is a, a big issue in mm-hmm. the places that have these selective schools. We mm-hmm. should say there's plenty of places like Los Angeles that don't have a single selective high oh, school. Oh yeah, no. Checker wrote a whole book about this a couple of years ago. It was actually one of the first things I read about it, yeah. read from him. I mean, we think, you know, people who maybe are on the East Coast and know mm-hmm. about Stuyvesant and Bronx Science or, you know, they know about uh, what... Uh, the, These uh, magnet schools, Boston, Boston Latin. Latin or right, you know, and there's some on the web, Lowell, Lowell in San Francisco, but mm-hmm. really, you know, in, in a big chunk of the country, these things don't even exist. But when they do exist, of course, there are questions about diversity. You look mm-hmm. in New York City where the only entrance requirement, it's all about the test. Mm-hmm. And these schools are heavily weighted towards Asian Americans, often low income or moderate income Asian mm-hmm. American kids, but Asian American kids. Other places try to have a more a, sort of a, a well-rounded admissions process. Mm-hmm. But look, just like the Ivy Leagues are still, uh, you know, overwhelmingly uh, white and Asian and upper middle class, you can mm-hmm. end up seeing those same sorts of things in selective high schools. So we have the same debate we always have in higher ed, right? Mm-hmm. Do we change the admissions processes mm-hmm. or do we figure out pipelines? Yeah, no, it's certainly a huge pipeline issue for a lot of these schools. Um, and you wrote a little bit about that in your book, The Diverse School Dilemma, a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Yeah, I mean, look, what, what in my view we've got to do is we got to get serious about elementary school and middle school right? and mm-hmm. ask, what are we doing as soon as possible to identify mm-hmm. children of color and low-income kids who have potential uh, to enter these mm-hmm. selective schools to pass the test many years later? We now have data systems where you can look at a third grade score and you can predict and say, hey, if this kid remains on a positive trajectory or makes you know some mm-hmm. some significant growth, they're going to have a real shot. We should identify those kids, make sure that they have the chance to be challenged, to get gifted and talented programs, mm-hmm. to get uh, you know advanced courses in middle school, whatever it takes, mm-hmm. uh, personalized learning. But you know what? We got to overcome the insanity that is the view that we shouldn't let kids go at their own pace, right? The Genie Oaks view of the world, which says that anything that allows kids to move, some kids to move faster is is tracking and is racist mm-hmm. in his classes. That's nuts. It's nuts. Yeah. And it's hurting poor and minority kids. Yeah, I'd agree. And I'd also add that we need to focus a lot on developing a content rich curriculum as well. So when kids are Boom. coming to high school, they've got the background that they need to succeed there. Boom. I like it. I like it. Okay. Topic number three, Clara. Ohio's new charter reform laws crack down hard on underperforming schools in the state. What does this mean for school choice in Ohio? Good things. Good things. Tell us, Alyssa, what just happened there in Ohio? So you're going to have to fill me in on, I'm going to get a few of the details wrong, but a couple of years ago, Fordham commissioned a report looking at the quality of charter schools in Ohio and the quality of the charter law in Ohio. We found that the authorizing laws in Ohio were pretty lax. And one of the most difficult Well, one of the easiest things to fix, but one of the most persistent problems was this issue of sponsor hopping, where these poorly performing schools Mm -hmm. were able, they'd get dropped by a sponsor for not meeting expectations, for not improving outcomes for students, and they'd go to another sponsor and they'd open and they'd still be this poorly performing school. Uh, Last year, House Bill 2 cut down on that. They said, Mm -hmm. nope, can't do that anymore. And this year, for the first time, the 
ODE turned down six schools who, who, or shuttered six schools that were poorly performing and in the past would have sponsor hopped. No, that's right. And, and here's the, you know, by the way, we did this with our friends at Bellwether Education Partners. Andy Smerick uh, did a great job on that. And, and of course, a big coalition in Ohio to get this passed and, and key lawmakers. I mean, this was a big, huge effort. People have complained. We have complained. Mm-hmm. But national folks everywhere have complained about Ohio's charter sector. It has been an embarrassment for many years. The wild west but look, of laws. we get this law passed and it's starting to be implemented and it's working. Bad mm-hmm. schools are getting closed down. Charter authorizers are doing the tough stuff that they had not been willing to do for mm-hmm. years, right? Because they are now going to be held accountable and they don't want to have these bad schools in their portfolios. So look, mm-hmm. things are happening. Is this a, look, it, you know, we, we've had a lot of strife in ed reform lately. It is good to remember that it is possible mm-hmm. to get good laws passed and implemented and that they can result in good things for kids. In this mm-hmm. case, it means higher quality charter schools in Ohio, uh, which we think is going to, over the long run, mean lots of better opportunities for mm-hmm. Ohio's kids, especially poor kids. is going to mean that we're going to be able to make a case for more funding for Ohio charter schools, mm-hmm. which they desperately need. So again, progress is possible, people. Mm-hmm. All right. That is all the time we've got for Pardon the Gadfly. But don't worry, now it is that time. Time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. David Griffith, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. You make a lovely Amber. You do, you do. Uh, David filling in for Amber yet again, called up from the minor leagues to, to for, the, for the big opportunity. Hey, Quick question, David. Were, were you more of an NBA Finals person this last week or a uh, soccer Wait. Copa American? Calling no. it Copa. Yep. Copa. Sadly, I was a Copa Americana uh, fan. Yes. Um, I watched every minute of last night's 4 nothing defeat to Argentina. Yeah. Um, about which I think the less said the better. <laughs> I really, it's impressive. Nobody has said anything today about this. And, and yet, like, let it be said, there was, you know, I remember my, our good friend Andy Smarrick on, on Twitter last night saying that we looked sloppy and amateurish. Dude, we're playing the best team in the world. You end up looking bad when you're up against Messi. He's amazing. He, he is. I mean, yeah. that's shot that shot the right? shot was i mean pretty incredible unbelievable i don't i didn't watch the game because i only watch soccer when i'm betting on it which is only the world cup hmm. yeah i know i know it's a wonderful game but i also like my team. audrey you might want to scrub that <laughs> <laughs> betting like lunches and dinners oh, okay, not actual okay. money right, we yeah, wouldn't right. do that um but i don't whatever that shot was like twitter just suddenly everything was in caps and everything was exclamation points hey, and that was it you, you gotta watch it i mean even if you don't know anything about soccer you could watch that and say oh my god how what 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 were the physics behind that yeah. Incredible shot. Okay. But we are talking about education reform. What you got for us, David? What's the, what's the study? All right. Well, today we're looking at a Mathematica study by uh, Steve Glazerman um, and Dallas Dodder, where they basically looked at DC uh, lottery schools uh, choice system um, and uh, basically dug deep into the latest data on how families uh, choose schools in DC. Okay. Um, and uh, they found some really interesting stuff. So just for some basic context for people who aren't from D.C., uh, there's about 100 charter schools in D.C. And uh, then there's about 100 traditional district schools. Mm-hmm. And we have this thing called My School D.C. that allows people to choose, essentially, and rank their their uh, their top 12 schools, um, including districts and charters. And uh, I guess a little more context, I think that's helpful. About 45% of all the schools are charters, right? And about a third of all families families 
uh, choose to participate in this system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when I think one of the main first findings that we should say is that the authors find that uh, despite that, in general, the people who participate in this program are very representative mm-hmm. of DC as a whole. So there's no obvious evidence that this is the, that they're that different. Mm-hmm. So they use a bunch of really complicated math to look at um, essentially what matters to families. And they looked at five different things. Basically, they looked at convenience. So mm-hmm. how long, how far are, are families from a particular school? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is it on a, a bus or a subway line? Um, they looked at demographics, um, especially race and income of the mm-hmm. school. Does that matter to families? They looked at school neighborhood, like crime rates. Um, they looked at academic indicators. So mm-hmm. specifically efficiency rates, uh, growth scores and accountability, accountability ratings, ratings. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then some other stuff. Uh, so basically what they found was, um, that the three things that matter most are convenience, uh, academics mm-hmm. and demographics. And they, they have kind of a cool way of, of sort of visualizing this or helping people understand mm-hmm. how much it matters. So I'm going to read verbatim here. So the typical family would be willing to send their middle school student almost seven miles further to attend a higher rated school. Uh, if you compare the highest rated to the lowest rated. Mm-hmm. So, By the way, it's hard to go much further than seven miles. Uh, in yeah, Washington. in DC, it really district. is. Yeah. Uh, so that puts pretty much everything in play. And, and similarly, if two schools differed by 10 points in terms of the percentage of students who scored proficient, parents would be willing to send their kid uh, about a mile further to, a, to attend a more proficient school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also care about uh, race and ethnicity. But what's interesting is essentially they care most when their own race sort of group is small. So mm-hmm. people don't like mm-hmm. um, sort of being in the minority. And then when you get to a high enough level, it actually flips and mm-hmm. there's a little bit of a taste for diversity, mm-hmm. um, huh. all of which is intuitive. So there are a lot of findings around all these. So I really encourage people to read it. <laughs> but I think uh, the other interesting thing that they do is they basically... Um, they run simulations, so they are able to look at alternative scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, they simulate what would happen if we remove the lowest performing schools mm-hmm. um, by closing them, and they just and and what would that do to the distribution of students, and what would it do to the number of students who are in um, schools that have lots of high performing uh, students? Mm-hmm. And basically, they find that if we if we did that, we would be able to probably reduce uh, racial uh, segregation and income-based segregation if we were to increase the number of spots at schools. Mm -hmm. And in general, they find that the effect of choice is sort of mixed on these distributions. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little, there's sort of some evidence that it increases uh, income-based segregation and a little evidence maybe by race, but it actually, it depends on the level um, and the effects are modest. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, at the middle school level, for example, there's actually less racial segregation um, under a choice-based system than there mm-hmm. is uh, without one. So wow. interesting findings. So uh, David, cool. David, yeah, very cool stuff. And I, I love it. I w- love that we're able to do these kinds of studies. I suppose we could do something similar maybe in Denver, maybe mm-hmm. in New Orleans. I've seen a few in, out of New Orleans. Yeah. New Not sure too, if Denver, maybe New York for the high schools, right? Mm-hmm. So David, uh, on achievement, you mentioned proficiency. What about growth? Did they care about growth? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. <laughs> yes. They did not care about growth. Uh, in fact, <sighs> in you're fact, killing me. And, and I have a theory about this, Mike. Um, so they, they didn't care about growth. In fact, at the middle school level, the coefficient on growth is actually negative, meaning <sighs> that if you have, if your school achieves more growth, yeah. uh, you're actually likely to be ranked lower. Uh, and, and what about Sorry. the accountability rating? The do accountability rating. about that? So it matters most for high school kids. Okay. So, mm-hmm. it, and it matters less for um, elementary kids. So elementary parents care about 
I don't know, safety, convenience. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. higher they get to high school, the more they're thinking about how good is the school. Yep. The closer they get to college too, yes. or to post-grad yeah. plans. Uh, I wonder if with the kind of growth proficiency thing, you know, it's easier for a school to grow if they're doing worse. So do you think that has any relationship to it or? So they actually dug into that and you're right. So initially they found, this is getting down in the weeds, but they found negative coefficients for middle school and high school, but it disappeared when they took proficiency out of it, which effectively Mm -hmm. controlled that Mm -hmm. effect. That's interesting. I mean, and look, I think there is an empirical question here. If you're giving advice to a parent, should they choose a school that is high proficiency or one that is high growth? Yeah. Now, intuitively you'd say, well, high growth, because if they care about their kid making the most progress, however, the high proficiency schools are probably going to have a higher socioeconomic status students in them. Yep. And there could be some benefits in Better terms teachers. of, you know, a right, school. Uh, of, you know, if your kid is poor of mm-hmm. being around more affluent kids uh, for mm-hmm. all the reasons that we've talked about here. In other words, so, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, is that an obvious study or by its very definition, if you tried to study, which is better for a kid, a high growth school, or a high proficiency school, almost by definition, it would have to be the high growth one, right? I mean, I feel like it kind of depends on the kid and it depends on the school a little bit. That'd be really, I'm not the, I'm the yeah. least qualified to comment on a research study here. Yeah. I, I, just think, did I think it's an obvious study. I still want to do it. All right. <laughs> Let me make one more point, which is if you go to the website uh, uh, of the DC schools and you look for information, you will not find the information for growth as easily as you will find oh, the information for achievement. And I think that's why we're seeing this. Yeah, that's Though it opinion. is baked into the ratings, at least on the charter side. I do believe that their rating system is pretty heavy on growth. But, Could be, but you won't find those ratings as easily. Oh, either. but the ratings aren't Interesting. Found easier. Okay. All okay. right. Lots of awesome stuff. Hey, hey, you smart listeners out there, send us a note if you've got a thought on this growth versus proficiency thing uh, as we try to puzzle it out. Thank you, David. Great job. Uh, you know, look, we want Amber back, but I'm telling you, You've, you've definitely at least got a, a spot on the bench here in the major leagues. <laughs> Thank okay? you very much. That's, yes. that's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all the time we've got for this week. Till next week. I'm Alyssa Schwing. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net. 